Good morning again, Lakeshore. We're so glad that you're here with us. Smyrna Campus, we're glad you guys are with us today. Anybody that's connected with us online, we're glad you found us there. We are continuing a series called Love Does. I love that clip. It's from the movie uh, Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Suanne and I got to see that movie when it came out. and I love the story there. It's a true story of an episode they were filming, and he couldn't get the tent up. And he decided to go with it and to talk about how children need to know that even grown-ups, even adults, sometimes fail, sometimes can't do what they plan to do, sometimes they mess up. And in this series we're doing on Love Does, we are going to be talking about today, I've entitled this message, Free to Fail. And I think you're going to find this message from Scripture and the example that we're going to look at to be a very encouraging and freeing message for all of us. I think this idea of failing is especially hard on parents. Uh, We all carry around some guilt, parents, don't we? Uh, When our kids don't necessarily get something another child gets or accomplishes something that another child has already accomplished at the same age as our child or our child does something wrong, they get in trouble at school or as they get older, maybe they get in trouble with the law or they have uh, problems with their job and lose their job, all kinds of things. And sometimes we can't help but put that on ourselves as parents. Because we, we kind of live through the success of our kids reflects directly on us. But if their success reflects on us, what else reflects on us? Their failures reflect on us too. And we feel guilt about it. There was this couple, these parents that uh, were really prideful parents. They just thought they, their son was just better than all the others. And they had done such a great job as parents raising their child. And uh, one thing they were teaching them to do was pray at meals. And they had a, a couple they had invited over for lunch. And they sat down for lunch. And, and the parents just felt so prideful. And they said to their son, Johnny, Johnny, why don't you say the blessing for our meal? And Johnny all of a sudden got real nervous. And he leaned over to his mom and said, I don't know what to say. And she said, well, just say what Daddy said this morning. He said, okay. (laughs) Dear God, why do we have to have these awful people over for lunch today? (laughs) Epic fail, right? We've all had some failures, though, haven't we? Last week, we introduced this series by defining the kind of love that is the supreme love in Scripture. What was the word for it, you remember? Agape, great. Now, I didn't know this, but that very night during the Super Bowl, there was a commercial that came out that talked about the four Greek words for love and how agape was the supreme kind of love where you do for others as a result of that love. And they couldn't go into a lot of depth in a commercial that short, but I thought it was a great commercial and a great tie-in to Pastor Randy's sermon. I wish I could say I orchestrated that, but I did not. But we did define agape as a commitment to seek the best for another. A matter, it's a matter of the will. It's not romantic, emotional love, uh, though there is a place for that too. It, it's, it's supreme even to that. It is, it is the greatest kind of love. It's the way God loves us. And we learned last week about how hard it is to to love like that. But when we are able to do it the way God does it, that's the kind of love that holds relationships together. 
right? We talked about last week, the message was, I am with you. How we need to be there for each other because God is always there for us, isn't he? He never leaves us or forsakes us. One of the things that, that I was reminded of, and, and God prompted me to think about this later, is one of the names for Jesus when he was coming was Emmanuel. What, what does Emmanuel mean? God with us, right? He is with us. And, and understanding that should change how we live life. And one of the things that changes when we understand that he's with us, that he loves us with agape love, is that it frees us up even to fail. And that doesn't sound like a positive thing, does it? But I want you to hear me out and listen to the story in Scripture of Peter's life and an epic failure in his life. And how when you know God is with you and loves you like he does, even epic failures don't change his love. In fact, he can even take epic failures and use them for our good not saying we should strive for failure that's not the message but we're free in the love of God to try things sometimes and even fall flat and fail without God's love changing in Hebrews 13 remember we looked at it last week in verse 5 he says keep your lives free from the love of money be content with what you have because God has said never will I leave you never will I forsake you so we say with confidence the Lord is my helper I will not be what's that word afraid I will not be afraid what can mere mortals do to me <laughs> even the worst failure what can mere mortals do to me if God never leaves us or forsakes us and God's love doesn't change for us. So today we examine what love does in the sense that it frees us from past failures and it frees us to risk failure moving forward in our lives. Let's begin with the life of Peter where the first thing we see about Peter is how he was so full of potential. And Jesus let him know that in Matthew 16. Let's pick up there with verse 13. This is nearing the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. He's been... He's been teaching for a while now. Uh, there's still some left, but, but he's far enough along that people are really questioning who this Jesus is. He's been teaching in a lot of different towns. He's been, he's been having people just make guesses now about who this guy really is because they're amazed by him, but they don't fully understand him. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Now what they were saying is, it's like he's the reincarnation of one of those great prophets of God. Maybe he's one of those great leaders come back to us, was one of the, some of the guesses that were being made. But Jesus turns it to a personal question to them. He says, but what about you? He asked, who do you say that I am? And who was it that spoke up? Peter, right? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Now that's huge. And sometimes we can just read that casually and not capture the impact of the statement that Peter makes there. But when he says Messiah, he's saying the hope of all the ages that God had promised hundreds of years before. 
to his people that he would send this deliverer, the Savior. He's saying, I recognize now, Jesus, you are the fulfillment of the prophecies and the promises of God to send us the Messiah. And he says, the son of the living God, that, that he is actually who he claimed to be. Peter is saying, I acknowledge that. Verse 17, Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you, listen to what he speaks into Peter's life, okay? I tell you that you are Peter. Now, before this, he's known more as Simon, okay? And if you read through Scripture and you see Jesus interacting with his disciples, he gave nicknames to some of them. And it's like, okay, Simon, I've got a name for you. He says, you are, what's the nickname? Peter. And on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Do you understand what he's speaking into Peter's life? He's not talking about Peter presently. He's talking about who Peter is becoming. He says, you are Peter. The word Peter in the Greek means rock. We got a guy now that we call the rock, don't we? In our culture, his real name's Dwayne. The rock sounds so much better, doesn't it? You wouldn't want to have a wrestler name. Here he is, Dwayne. Now, if your name's Dwayne, I'm not saying that in a bad way to you, okay? I'm just saying that's not a good wrestler name compared to what? The rock. And now he's an actor too, right? The rock. And, and, you think, well, that's cool, you know, to be called the rock. We associate good things with that, don't we? And Jesus is saying to Peter, Peter, you're a rock, man. We might use terminology now. That, that guy, that lady, uh, that woman, she's a rock star, right? We, we would think that's a good thing, right? So, so Peter isn't quite yet where he needs to be, but Jesus is already speaking into him what he wants him to be, what he's growing into, what he can see Peter being. You are a rock. And he says, because you are a rock, I'm going to build my church on this profession that you just made, that I am the Christ, the Messiah. I'm going to build my church on that, Peter. And you know what I'm going to do for you, Peter? I'm going to give to you the keys to the kingdom. He's talking about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. He's saying, Peter, you're going to have the keys to the kingdom. Now, what does that mean? The, the, there are people that took that the wrong way, I think. He's not saying that Peter is the first pope. That's not what he's saying here. What do you do with keys? You unlock and open up things, don't you? He's saying, Peter, you're going to be able to unlock the doors to the kingdom of heaven. If you jump ahead to Acts chapter 2, who preaches the first gospel sermon ever preached? Peter stands up on that day of Pentecost and for the first time proclaims the message of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And people responded and 3,000 were baptized and added to their number that day. They were added to the kingdom. Who opened up the doors to the kingdom? It was Peter who was given the privilege. But you see, what we need to understand is what happened after Jesus said that and before he got to unlock the doors to the kingdom. 
See, there was some history in between. And some of that history involves epic, epic failure in Peter's life. But what he's talking about here is the great potential that Peter had. Did Jesus already know about the upcoming failure? Did Jesus already know Peter was going to let him down? Absolutely. But what does he still call Peter? A rock. What does he still say he's going to get to do? Unlock the doors to the kingdom of heaven. One of the greatest honors ever given to anybody on the face of the earth. Peter's going to get to do that. But Jesus knew when he said those words. You see, Jesus wasn't just blowing smoke when he said, Peter, you're a rock. One of my favorite commercials, I'm kind of a student of commercials, television commercials. One of my favorite ones is this one. Fifteen minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Everybody knows that. Wow. Did you know Pinocchio was a bad motivational speaker? I look around this room and I see nothing but untapped potential. You have potential. You have... Oh, boy. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. To vote for your favorite Geico sequels, click over to the left. And don't forget... I didn't vote, but that's one of my favorites. I would have voted for that one. Jesus looks at Peter... Knowing the epic failure that was coming, and he says, Peter, you've got amazing potential. I can use you, I can work through you to do great things in the future. And the scripture tells us that as Christ followers, that we are created by Christ Jesus himself to do good works which he prepared in advance for us to do. He prepared those good works for you to do and for me to do already knowing every epic failure of our lives. But what does he still tell us? He prepared in advance good work that he wants you to do. Even while knowing the epic failures of our lives. And we all have them. All of us have had epic failures in our lives. Part of what happens with us is we misunderstand that potential that God has put in us. And we begin to become self-reliant and self-confident, which is number two on your outline. And that's how we we jump now to where Peter displays great self-confidence in Matthew 26, beginning with verse 31. This is at the very end of his earthly ministry now. And Jesus wants to spend that last evening with his disciples having the Passover meal with them. And during the meal, he begins to tell them about an epic failure that's coming up. Look at verse 31. Jesus told them, this very night, you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. So what does he say everybody at the table that night is going to do? Fail. Epic failure. Every one of them is going to let Jesus down. Every single one of them. No exceptions. Now, 
they've been spending three years with Jesus seeing that everything he said was true. They've been seeing everything he said he could do, he could do. Everything that he said was going to happen has happened. Why in the world would Peter think that night Jesus got it wrong? Well, listen to his words. He says, after you failed, after I've risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, listen, listen to this. Even if all fall away on account of you, what? I never will. I never will. It's like he's puffed up in front of the others, isn't it? All these guys may be losers, but not me, Jesus. Remember, you call me the rock. He doesn't say that, but I, I'm sure he remembers that, don't you? The rock won't let you down. Who does he have more confidence in, Jesus or himself? Himself. See, this world tells us you can do anything you want to do. You just got to believe. You can be anything you want to be, do anything. You know, we get filled with this stuff all of our lives that, quite frankly, is not even true. We even pull verses out of context in scriptures. I can do all things through Christ Jesus. Like anything at all we want to do, we can do it because of Christ Jesus. And that's not what that verse is saying. What it's saying is that you can get through all things with Christ Jesus. You can survive all things, get through it, and God can even bring good out of it. That's what he's saying in that verse. He's not saying you can just go do anything you want to do in Christ Jesus. But we keep raising kids and telling them you can do whatever you want to do. If anybody tells you you can't, they're lying to you. You can do anything you want to do. This didn't happen to me, but it could have. I could have wanted to be a sinner in the NBA. But you know what? I did try basketball. And the truth is, I wasn't very good at it. And you know what I had in my life? I had some people that told me, maybe that's not your sport. Now, I'm not saying a short person can't play basketball. I'm saying there are limits to what you can do in basketball. You're just made that way. You see, we do people a disservice when we try to tell them you can do stuff that God didn't prepare in advance for them to do. That's not the lane he wanted you to be in. That's not what he wanted you to be doing for him. That's not how he wanted you to be living your life. That's a disservice to try to tell people they can do and should do anything they want to do. That's like me becoming the praise team leader here at Lakeshore. That would not be good. It wouldn't be. That's not my lane. That's not what God equipped me or gifted me or called me to do. When he prepared me. Peter thinks he's knowing more right now than Jesus. He said, truly, Jesus answered, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, and the word there means with even greater intensity, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. Like Peter was the cheerleader, right? We're not ever going to deny you, Jesus. So now, because Peter is a gifted leader, he's convinced the others that Jesus is wrong too. You see how you can get off track when you have yourself full of self-confidence? 
instead of God confidence. It can cause you to think something of yourself that's not true. It's not right. It's not even God's plan or God's will for your life. But you think you know best what you need to be doing. He's more confident in himself than he is in Jesus and the teachings and the words of Jesus. And I'm afraid we're raising generations of kids today in our world to think just like that. That they know better than God or God's word, what they ought to do, how they ought to live their lives, what choices they ought to make. And God will just have to get over it. Now the good news is, even though Peter is way off track, and even though Peter is not going to be able to fulfill what he promises he's going to do, does Jesus still love Peter that night? Yeah. Does he still love us when we get off track too? Absolutely. God's love doesn't fail. It doesn't go back and forth based on our performance or lack thereof. Which leads to the third thing that happens to Peter, and that is he experiences a time where he's full of fear and regret. Matthew 26, just a short time later that night, they have arrested Jesus. They've taken him now, and they're taking him to be questioned as if it's a, a trial, but it was just a mockery of a trial. And Peter followed along at a distance and was waiting out in a courtyard outside of where they had taken Jesus. It says in verse 69, Peter was sitting out in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said, excuse me, she said, but he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Strike one. He went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. And uh, in most translations, there's an exclamation point there because what he did was something like, I swear to you I don't know the man with an oath. I swear on my mother's grave, I don't know the man. That's an oath somebody might make today, right? That's what Peter's doing. That's how emphatic he's being now. Verse 73, after a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. <laughs> it's like people being able to tell I'm from Georgia when I talk very long. Right? Galileans had an accent. Peter was Galilean. But look at his response. Then he began to call down curses. And he swore to them, I don't know the man. What did he say? Even if I have to die with you, Jesus, I will never deny you. And just like that, three times in a row, Peter denies any association whatsoever with Jesus. Epic fail. I mean, epic fail. After being so confident, doing exactly what Jesus said he was going to do to let him down. In this room, at the Smyrna campus in that room, and among all those listening online, 
Every one of us can think back over our lives and remember some epic failures. Every one of us has some. Some of them weren't so big, maybe. We let somebody down or we didn't do something we promised our kid we were going to do. It wasn't our fault, but we couldn't follow through on it. And Maybe we had a business failure, financial failure. Some of them are greater. Some of you know the pain of a failed marriage and the hurt that it brought to you and to others. Some of you know the pain of a child that did rebel and maybe right now is in the middle of that rebellion off into something that you know is ungodly and not right for them and you feel like I failed as a parent. Some of you have failed and you're witness for Christ at work and you got caught up in the gossip or the slander or you got caught up in not being the example and not speaking up when you should. Some of you young people in school have seen somebody being ridiculed or bullied and being embarrassed by the others and you haven't taken up for them and you know it and you felt bad about it afterwards but you didn't step up when you had the opportunity. We all have some of those epic failures in our lives. What do we do with that? How do we respond when we get real honest with ourselves about our epic failures in our lives? Well, let's look at Peter, verse 75. Immediately the rooster crowed, then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Luke's account tells us that right then when the rooster crowed after denying him three times, it says Jesus looked right at Peter. Can you imagine how that felt? The person you swore that you would love and defend and never deny looked straight at you right after you've done it like he said you were going to. It says he went outside and wept bitterly. I want you to understand something. That's a good thing. You see, we've grown up in a world that we are telling our kids and our young people and even adults today, no matter how badly you messed up, you should never feel bad about yourself. What a lie. What a lie. We ought to feel bad about letting people down. We ought to feel bad about not keeping our promises. We ought to feel bad about disgracing our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We ought to weep bitterly over our sins. We ought to. They cost Jesus everything on the cross. To not weep for those things is to make light of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We ought to weep over our sins. But there are two kinds of grief, the scripture tells us. One's a good kind. It ought to be there. The other's not. Two kinds of sorrow, one that's godly and one that's worldly. And they are clearly delineated in Scripture. You see, there was another one of the disciples that even before Jesus predicted this that night, had already made a deal with Jesus' enemies. He had already gone and accepted payment for the betrayal. You know the price of the betrayal, right? 30 pieces of silver. Judas has already been paid. He's already got the deal made when he's sitting there that night. 
He left that dinner to go get the enemy camp and take them to find where Jesus was going to be. That's how far into it he already was. But the scripture tells us that when he saw that they arrested Jesus and that he was going to be condemned, it says Judas felt remorse. What was Peter feeling that night? Remorse. Two disciples, both with epic failures in their lives. They both feel remorse. They both wept bitterly, it says. Judas even went and tried to return the money to, to, the, to the Jewish leaders that he had taken the money from. He went to the temple, and they wouldn't take the money. They said, that's yours. You do whatever you want. And he threw the money down in the temple courts. And what did Judas do then? He went and hung himself. That's what he did with his sorrow with his grief, with the bitterness that he was feeling. He let it destroy him. Friends, suicides are on the rise in our world, big time. I think a lot of it goes back to this thing of, we all know we fail epically. The question is, what do you do with it? Where do you turn? Is there any hope with our epic failures in our lives. And if you don't know about Jesus or know you can go to the Father through Jesus, then there's nowhere else to go with that. What do you do with that? Suicide seems like the only choice for a lot of people to ease the pain of the bitterness of the epic failures they feel in their lives. But it doesn't have to be that way at all. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10 says this, Godly sorrow brings, what's that word? Repentance that leads to salvation. And it leaves no regret. That's the good sorrow. It's the sorrow that causes you to turn from the behavior that created the failure. And turn to the truth of God's plan for your salvation and when you use, when God, you allow God to use your regret and your sorrow that way, it leads you to salvation, and that leaves no more regret because you've been forgiven, you've been saved, you've been restored in your relationship. That's the sorrow that God wants us to have with our failure. But he says worldly sorrow brings what? Death. See, worldly sorrow will crush you and destroy you. Death doesn't mean just suicide or just dying because of your choices. It means the death of the life that God wanted you to have. It robs you of the ability to have joy and peace in your life, to know the blessings that God wants you to have. When you're just eaten up with sorrow and regret, you can't live life the way God wants you to live life. And God doesn't want you to live like that. He doesn't want me to live like that. We could all be consumed with our epic failures, but we don't have to be. <laughs> the good news is we do not have to be consumed or destroyed by the epic failures of our lives. And that leads to the final thing, and that is Peter ends up being full of grace and opportunity. Grace and opportunity. If you're living with the weight of past failures, if you're afraid to move forward in faith, you need to see what happens in Peter's life here, okay? 
We're going to jump to John chapter 21. This is where we're picking up after the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus has already appeared to his disciples twice. This is his third appearance to those disciples. Uh, Peter and some of his friends, what were they before they went to follow Jesus? What occupation did Peter have? Fisherman. So guess what Peter's doing right now? He's been out fishing with his friends. Okay? They didn't catch anything. Sound familiar? The first time Jesus called Peter, what was he doing? Fishing. Wasn't catching anything. What did Jesus do? He gave him a great miraculous catch of fish. That day they're out fishing and somebody from the beach says, Hey guys, how's your fishing going today? Eh, we don't have caught anything, right? He says, bring me some fish so we can, we can eat together here on the beach. Now I like this about Jesus. Here's, here's what you need to see. I love going to the beach. Jesus is hanging out on the beach, and he's going to have a barbecue on the beach, right? He's already got fire going. He's ready, right? Guys, come join me for a barbecue on the beach. He said, well, we don't have any. He says, throw your nets over there in that area. You'll get some fish. Sure enough, they do it. And all of a sudden, Peter recognizes that it's Jesus. He can't wait for the boat to get all the way in. So he jumps out of the boat, and he starts going to shore. And he says, get the fish and bring them in. So Peter has to go back and help get the fish in. And they get the fish in, and they sit down there barbecuing the fish. Then after they finished eating in verse 15, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? <laughs> what did Peter say that night? Even if all the others fail you, Jesus, what? I never will. So he goes back to that point with Peter again. Do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And what's Jesus' answer? Feed my lambs. Peter had to be shaking his head. What, what, Jesus? What exactly are you talking about here? So he said a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, okay, take care of my sheep. Peter's still trying to work through this and figure out what Jesus is doing. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? There's no coincidence that it's three times, is it? How many times had Peter denied him? Three. Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? What's he feeling again? The regret, the remorse. But Jesus is going to help him get past it now. He says, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were young, you went where you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And he said to him, follow me. You know what Jesus is saying to Peter? Because you went through this and you've learned from it, you repented of it like you needed to, you didn't let it crush you and destroy you, you didn't go kill yourself the way Judas did, you know what you can do now? With what you've learned and what I've done in your life, you can now be a greater leader than ever before. And now here's what you're going to be able to do. You're going to be able to be such a rock that you will even be willing to die for me like you first said you would. You're finally where you need to be to be the rock that I called you to be.
And it was your epic failure that helped get you there. Learning from it. Repenting of it. Recognizing the truth that I tell you. That you can believe my message. All of that's going to help you be that rock. That it will be Peter ended up being crucified for Jesus. But he never denied him again. Even with crucifixion. He became what Jesus spoke into him. The rock for Jesus. Friends, the reason I share this is because I know all of us have these fears and these regrets that we struggle with. And Satan is the accuser. He's called in Scripture. He wants to keep whispering in your ear your failures and your shortcomings and how you've messed up and how, how you can never ever be right with God and God can't really use you and you, you can't really approach God because of how bad you've messed up. And God's love has never changed for you. He so loved you that he gave his one and only son for you. The answer is to deal with the failure the way God wants you to deal with it. Through repentance and restoration that he offers you. I, uh, I mentor some younger pastors and I love doing that. And one of them called me the other day and he was talking to me about, you know, I just love, you know, uh, what you've done at Lakeshore and the kind of growth God's blessed you with. And we're going through these struggles here at this church. And uh, it seems like no matter what, there's these people that are against everything and they, they're critical and they're tearing it down. And, and, and man, I just love to have what you have at Lakeshore. And I said, my friend, <laughs> you don't have a clue. Uh, I try not to be sarcastic, but you know me. I tend to be a little that way. I said, friend, you don't even know the failures we've been through. The people that have hurt and stabbed you in the back, and the people that have walked away and tore down what you were doing, and you weren't there for all of that. You didn't experience all of that. I said, and not only that, but even though it looks like success at Lakeshore and there's been a lot of good things, I had a ministry before that that was an absolute failure. I had taken a church in Alabama shortly after graduating from Bible college and I had been at a church already while I was finishing my two years at college, the uh, last two years at college and we were growing and it was a good little church and they loved us there and our family. We had, Heather had been born and Sue Ann was pregnant with Bobby, he was on the way and uh, somebody contacted me and said there's this church in Alabama that's looking for a pastor and they want to talk to you and I, I was flattered because it was a bigger church. And I thought, man, yeah, I need to be at a bigger church. And I really didn't even check out the church. I didn't check out anything about it because ego, you know, gets in the way. And they wanted me to come, and they were offering a bigger salary and a nice house. And they were coming. To, I took the church, and we left a perfectly good ministry that was going well to go to that ministry there. And friends, it was an epic failure. We didn't stay there but about a year and a half. And it was just the wrong match and it never worked. Some of it's their fault. Some of it was my fault. It doesn't matter whose fault it was. It was still an epic failure. And it crushed me. And I decided I misheard God. I didn't need to be a pastor. I didn't need to be in the ministry. So I stepped away from being a pastor of a church for a little while. Moved back to our hometown 
went into business, had great success in business. Just didn't ever leave church. Stayed involved in the church and served there at the church. Not as the pastor, of course. Just served there like the others. And God worked on my heart during that time. It humbled me a lot. Even though I was having success in business, you know what I wasn't feeling? Purpose or fulfillment. Because that's not where God wanted me to be. And an opportunity came up with this church in Tennessee I never heard of. Looking for a pastor. Hadn't had one for about a year. Came up and talked with him and God just said, this is where you need to go. Now, I'd been burned before, so I checked out this church called Lakeshore. And everybody I talked to said, don't go there. I'm just being honest. The reputation wasn't good. They'd had a lot of pastors come through and leave. And not always for bad reasons. Sometimes they went off to do other good things. But a lot of people said, don't go there. So I could have listened to the people or God was telling me, go there. This is where I need you to be. And so Sue Ann, I talked to her and prayed with her. She said, I'm with you. See, that's that love I'm talking about. Holds a marriage together too. She says, I'm with you. If you believe this is what God wants, that's what we're going to do. That was almost 29 years ago that we started a ministry here. And it was the right fit. And it has gone well. But there's still been pain and disappointment and heartache all along the way. There's been moments of people letting you down and me letting other people down. There's been all kinds of struggles. But when you're doing what God called you to do, He can take even the failures and use them for some really good things. And I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. And I love being in the place where God wants me to be. But here's what I know. He doesn't just do that for pastors. He does that for every follower of Jesus Christ. He wants to take your life, even with your mess-ups, and take you in your lane that you need to be in and use you for His glory and honor. It could be your role at work. It could be your role as a mom or a dad or a grandparent. Whatever it is, whatever roles he has put you in, he wants you to be used to do the good work he prepared in advance for you to do. And your past failures don't disqualify any of you from doing that. So I want you to be encouraged to know That God's love is greater than any of your failures or my failures. Greater than Peter's epic fail in his life. There's this thing that's been circulating for a long time now that I want to close with. It's really good. There's different versions of it. And you could pick anybody in the Bible and they would fit in this category. It says something like this. Jacob was a cheater. Moses was a murderer. David was an adulterer. Noah got drunk. Jonah ran from God. Gideon was insecure. Miriam was a gossip. Sarah was impatient. Abraham was old. Elijah was depressed. Martha was a worrier. Thomas was a doubter. Zacchaeus was short. (laughs) And Lazarus, he was dead. And God used them all in great ways. 
And here's what you need to know. You can name anybody in the Bible, and they could be in that too. And you can name anybody in the history of the church that's done great things, and they would have had some failures in their lives too. But God's love, his agape for you, is so great that he doesn't know you by your failure. He knows you by your identity as his child in Christ. And in Christ, it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. You are who you are in Christ, covered by his blood. It's his righteousness that God sees when he looks at you. No matter what epic failure you've had in your past. Anytime you try to say God can't use me, you are denying the love of God in your life. God wants to take you just like you are right now. He doesn't want to leave you there. He wants to transform you. But he wants to take you just like you are right now on this journey to become all that he created you to be. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that that today we've been reminded of a hard thing to think about, epic failure. We see it in Peter's life, and it was epic. And it broke Jesus' heart to see Peter do that. But Jesus' love for Peter never changed. And his plan and his purpose for Peter was not thwarted just because Peter failed that time or any other time. Your love's greater than that, Father. And for that, we are all eternally grateful because we've come before you today as sinners, all of us having failed but all of us finding our hope and the answer to our failure, it's found in Jesus and the blood that he shed and the price that he paid for those failures. We thank you, Father, for paying that price for us, for clothing us with Christ so that when you look at us, you don't see all that junk. You see your son. You see your daughter that you bought at a great price. And you love us. If there's anyone who needs to come and accept that grace and that forgiveness and that love today, I pray that today your love would draw them to you as never before. It's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen.